Hey, it's the FinTech Newscast. My name's John, and with me, as always, is Steve. How are you doing? I am. I'm doing great, John. Doing great. Uh, looking forward to Halloween. How are you? You have a costume, early, but it's fine. Yeah? I I don't. I I t- I find that I usually tend to scramble in in the you know two weeks before, and I think that I'll continue my streak for this year. Maybe you can dress up as Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. Why, or why would you I do, do the new Bing paperclip? <laughs> they announced all these new AI and co-pilot products this week. That's excellent. I actually, you know, I, I use um my the Microsoft suite for my for my day job, and I find that their tools are actually quite quite useful. All, all their AI stuff is really useful in terms of blocking time for you to actually work and not be in meetings, uh, suggestions, meeting insights. I love all that stuff. So great job, Microsoft. I haven't yeah. tried Dolly and the image stuff. But it looks really interesting. I, I saw the presentation. I'm going to load in a bunch of your pictures and say, uh, Steve riding a unicorn on a rainbow. With hair like Fabio. I'm all in. I'll send you those results later. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of things that are changing in the world, uh, making it a lot better. And we're lucky to have one of those people with us, Zaid Rahman the founder and CEO of Flex, formerly known as Flexspace. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thank you for having me on. You know, you're you're a big deal now, so we're lucky to have you, have you here. <laughs> we saw this uh, press release with the $120 million of funds raised. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I know it's been a long time coming. You know, we have been at this uh, grinding day and night for a few years now. And so good to see that uh, the world is coming to know about us. <laughs> the world is coming to its senses. So I'm sure <laughs> you've had to answer this question a, a lot, but we're going to make you do it one more time here. What are you going to do with this 120 million? What, what's the plan for Flex? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I'm happy to sort of kind of talk you through what we're building at Flex, but really, you know, um, a lot of people get too distracted by these funding announcements. You know, for us, we have a very ambitious roadmap where we want to bring every single aspect of the finance back office at small businesses into one platform, right? And so a lot of that really means spending a lot of time building new products. And so, we have a very much a uh, multi-product uh, sort of DNA at the company. And so 80% of the company today is in engineering. And so a lot of uh, the funds here are going to be used towards building new products and achieving a very ambitious roadmap. Um, and uh, part of this raise was also a $100 million debt facility, uh, which we're really using uh, to sort of fund receivables uh, for small business customers where we provide them credit and so on. So you pay the yeah. bills... For them, and then they pay you back from their cash flow down the road. Yeah, no. So it's kind of zooming out. You know, let me kind of give you the sort of thirty thousand feet version of what we're building here at Flex. So Flex um, is a finance super app. The way it sort of came together um, is, you know, I've been building companies for ten years now, but uh, you know, I sort of first realized how hard it is for small businesses and their finance when I looked at my family's uh, little sort of small business that we ran. My father runs a construction business. I have two sisters who are architects. So they're in sort of the architectural consulting space. Um, I have an uncle who is in logistics. So, you know, I've sort of seen kind of the pain that small businesses face up front. 
And really the thing that stood out to me growing up was the problem is not really productivity. You know, a lot of people focus on like ERPs and those types of project management. The real problem is finance, where finance really just sucks. And, you know, there are two kind of aspects to that. The first aspect is if you think about B2B sort of fintech tools and sort of the kind of back office tools that these companies are using, well, there are too many of them. You have credit card companies, you have um, expense management, you have banking, you have QuickBooks, you have uh, you know accounting solutions, you have payroll benefits, insurance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are literally 15 plus workflows that a typical small business has. But the reality is most small business owners don't have the resources to hire a CFO, hire a head of finance that comes with a finance background that can go and sort of compile these things and run a sophisticated kind of back office. What really happens is that most people are just running their business off Excel, pen and paper, and really their heads, right? Which is not like the best solution. Um, and so we think that that is a huge problem. The other kind of aspect of this is working capital. So if you think about most businesses, businesses really need capital to grow. A lot of lending solutions historically in SMB finance has been very much focused on, uh, you know, providing you term loans that are, you know, two, three, four years long. And so you're stuck in this sort of high cost of capital. You're paying 15, 20, 30, 40% APRs on these long-term loans to expand your business. But what most business owners need is actually short-term working capital. So float. So 30, 60, 90 day financing to sort of get to the sort of next level of their business, especially in industries where there's a mismatch in their receivables and payables. So for example, the construction industry where you're uh, buying materials today, but your client will pay you two to three months from now. Um, the commerce industry where you're buying inventory to sell, you know, you advertise that on, you know, Facebook and Instagram, and then two months later, you're sort of making your money back. And there's so many industries like that in especially antiquated spaces like logistics, trucking, farming, you know, construction, of course, even sort of, uh, you know, uh, very kind of niche industries like reverse logistics, et cetera, et cetera, that we think that antiquated because they haven't been nobody's targeting solutions for them. Yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, these industries, um, frankly, nobody has really focused on building fintech solutions for these types of companies. Really, the in B2B fintech, you know, your audience is uh, sophisticated. So you've probably heard of, you know, many sort of B2B fintech companies out there that are building very sophisticated solutions for venture-backed startups and large enterprises. But if you think about most of America, these companies that, you know, uh, basically employ two thirds of the country are one to $10 million revenue companies, maybe, maybe, maybe max $50 million revenue companies, right? In the sort of SMB space. Um, and, um, and so as a result, these companies are underserved and really the only companies going after them are big traditional banks, right? The American Expresses of the world, BFA, Chase, et cetera, et cetera. In FinTech, um, there are not that many companies really focused on them. There are a couple of like niche spaces, for example, retail and like, you know, you have a coffee shop, you know, there'll be a square or a toast or something like that serving those types of retail opportunities. But if you go beyond the point of sale, you go to these service businesses, 
um, doing you know all sorts of services from landscaping to construction to logistics, um, these companies pretty much have been left behind. And so what we have built uh, is a finance super app that brings together the entire finance back office into one super app, credit cards, banking, treasury management, sort of the flow of funds in and out of the business into one platform. And we have a very ambitious vision where we want to build products and tools that goes after the entire back office, you know, the 15 plus workflows we were talking about earlier. For the for the lending product that, that you mentioned, sort of the, the short-term 30, 60, 90 day financing, are you plugging into the point of sale systems and sort of tracking the actual business um, money coming in and out? Or how do you ascertain a customer's credit worthiness? Um, yeah, the, no, that's a yeah. great question. So the credit product we have today is our wedge, sort of the way we sort of enter these companies. And then we sort of expand from there into all these other software products that we have built. Um, so today it's a credit card that offers net 60 terms on all business expenses. So you can buy materials or inventory today and pay us back in two months interest-free, uh, 0% for 60 days on all transactions. Um, and so a lot of very interesting kind of nuanced things are happening in the background. Um, a lot of you know traditional banks really are just looking at your um, business owner's personal credit score because they don't really know how to analyze these businesses. And so we have built a lot of tooling that sort of sits on top of that individual underwriting and goes well, you know, much, much deeper into the business's cash flows such that we can understand their AR and AP and really sort of build kind of a matrix of what the volatility of their cash is, what is their free cash flow, what can this customer tolerate in the next 60, 90 days, and so on. Um, and we are trying to sort of figure out a score for the business. And so the types of business owners and businesses we work with typically are um, super prime consumers, right? And they have very resilient cash flows. We make this quip that some of our businesses have been around for so long that they have seen all sorts of macro cycles. They've seen recessions, they've seen inflations, they have seen 9-11, right? And they have survived through all of these things. Um, and so these are enduring businesses that are here for the long term and Flex really is building an enduring brand where we want to be a partner to these types of enduring businesses and be uh, sort of helpful in any way we can such that they can achieve what we like to say, you know, achieve their American dream, uh, get to their full potential. So as you were saying, these companies have, have gone through a lot and they've used different services. What's the biggest obstacle for a new company like yours to convince them to use your services? I mean, I'm always curious when you're starting a new business, when you're expanding, you know, how, how do you get that word out? How do you convince people? Demand has not really been a problem for us. <laughs> We've only been around, I mean, we launched a beta product right? last year. And, you know, this is like our first like couple of quarters where we have been, you know, more publicly facing and in a very short amount of time, we've had literally thousands and thousands of businesses approach us. Um, you know, the public number that we've disclosed is we've had over 25,000 business owners come to us. And so getting the word out has not been an issue because the reality is that who doesn't want a free loan for two months, right? Um, and so from that perspective, cash flow is such a big problem for these businesses you know, having that extra cushion in their um, ARAP cycle makes 
a huge difference to their growth. Oh, that really speaks to what you were saying before, that you're really addressing a gap in the market. Yes, If you're getting exactly. that kind of response, that's exactly. really saying something about... Yeah, you know, it's been, it's been really interesting, right? Like, because what, you know, the honest reality is that if you think about B2B fintech, you know, the companies that focus mostly on VC-backed companies and enterprises, the reason why they have been shy to sort of pursue the types of companies we're pursuing is they're not the easiest customers to um, serve from a product perspective. You know, underwriting is really, really hard. Losses can be quite high. Uh, customer success is harder. You know, you're dealing with a larger number of customers and you need to be really good um, at sort of answering the phone when they call you, for example. Um, and then frankly, um, you know, unit economics, you know, serving them in a profitable way can also be challenging. So we have done a lot of work to make all of those things um, sort of a super strength of ours. Like, for example, if you call us, you know, we have uh, kind of an internal guide where we try to answer the phone within three rings, right? And so like, just answer your question right away. Um, from an underwriting perspective, uh, we've recruited really well from companies that have done this at scale, you know, the Amexes of the world, where um, we've built a lot of machine learning models um, to underwrite the individual, the business, the industry, look at their cash flows multiple times a day. So it's not just a static decision that we're making at origination, sort of an ongoing thing, sort of dynamically sort of pricing them four times a day, such that we can figure out what is the probability that this business is going to survive the next 60, 90 days and so on. There's a lot that goes into that. And so we have purpose built this for the types of businesses that um, you know, other B2B fintechs have found really hard to serve. So it seems like this is actually, um, I wouldn't say um, credit, but it's, it's definitely, there, there's a lot of well-funded players in this space. So thinking of companies like Square and Gusto that offer you know, a, a multitude of um, sort of back office type, type, type solutions. But from a lending perspective, I'm, I'm just curious how you would compare the um, your lending or your credit products to say, uh, the working capital that you can get from Square or I think, it, yeah, the, the many other sort of VC-backed or even public com companies now um, mm -hmm. and, and how you think the cost structure that, that, that you have is just different to what they offer as well. Yeah, no. So first of all, the way we think about ourselves is that we're building a finance super app, right? We want to build every single aspect of the finance back office into this one integrated platform. Um, and so our kind of ambition is very, very broad. And, you know, today what we're talking about is credit banking and treasury, um, where we have built, you know, besides our credit product, a banking product that has zero fees, we have a treasury product that gives you up to 75 million in FDIC insurance um, through our partners. And so really the play here is to build a software platform where our hope is that maybe our software platform can be your CFO, rather than you know hiring uh, humans to kind of do these processes in the back office. But going back to your question around lending, you know, in the market, as I was talking to you about it earlier, um, the reality is that a lot of business lenders out there are more term loan oriented, where they give you expansion capital, where the capital is longer duration. So 12 to 48 month long kind of products. What Where we think the market is, not really there is short duration products, i.e. 30 to 90 days. So you have your traditional credit card, but the problem with these credit cards is that the credit limit is very low. And because it's a 30-day product, 
the interest rate you get um, after 30 days is quite high. And, you know, you have sort of variable rates and those types of things that makes it really complicated. So if you as a business owner, let's say you're a restaurant, right? You need to go buy ingredients. You need to spend, you know, let's say $20,000 to go to Restaurant Depot and buy, you know, chicken wings, for example, right? By the time you cook it and sell it and, you know, make a profit on it, it might be 45 days. So who is floating you for those 45 days? Today, a lot of these business owners literally will put it on their consumer credit cards. And the consumer credit cards, first of all, are not giving them appropriate credit limits. I mean, we have tons and tons of business owners who complain that they're spending 20, 30, 40K a month and their credit limit is 10,000. And so the sort of credit cards are not smart enough to understand what the spending pattern here is. And so they're not able to really serve these businesses. And the other challenge is that post 30 days, the interest clock begins. Like every single day you're paying an APR. And so it becomes, you know, cost prohibitive over time. And you know, the reality is that most small businesses don't have the best profit margins. And so when you're playing with 20, 30% margins, in certain cases, as low as 5% margins, you need to, you know, you need to have really low cost of capital. And so in this kind of high cost of capital market, our net 60 product that offers 0% interest has been very significant, which is why we have such crazy demand. Are the loans, the short-term loans coming from Flexbase or do you work with a partner that can provide the capital? So yes. in other words, you prefer, yeah, okay. Yeah, so we have, you know, a warehouse facility um, and we have, you know, a capital markets kind of team that is working with lenders uh, to provide the capital in the back end uh, where we're tapping into a facility that which has sort of fixed costs of capital and economics. And we are figuring out how to underwrite these businesses, how to manage them, how to sort of you know, provide them more tools and services such that, you know, we retain them over time and they don't just think of us as a lender. Um, and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's sort of on us to do that. But uh, the risk is primarily been taken by third party capital providers who are sort of on the back end of this product. Got it. And do those providers get to say bid on how much they want to lend or sort of what's the process to become a capital pro provider for for Flex? Yeah, that's a great question. So typically for a business like us, you know, we're doing pretty significant volumes, right? So we um, we just closed a $100 million credit facility with CIM. CIM is a uh, fintech fund that focuses on fintechs uh, by providing them credit facilities. And so these are like, you know, 25 to $100 million facilities, and um, they sort of help you get started. And then there are tons of sort of banks that jump in. Uh, as your second and third and fourth facility and sort of provide you, you know, ABSs and forward flows and warehouses, which are like very kind of esoteric types of uh, sort of lending that, you know, if you know, you know, type thing um, where, uh, you know, there's a robust sort of capital market that is very hungry for this type of yield, um, looking for fintech companies like ours uh, to provide them access to these types of customers. So, uh, John, I'm actually I'm going to put you on the spot here. John actually has a small business. Um, yeah. Can, can you share sh share with us, John, what your experience is with, with getting capital if you needed it and whether this would be relevant to your use case? Yeah, yeah. Very relevant. Everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're doing um, we have three locations for uh, beauty salons. And amazing. All the financing is just personal credit. So we have to maintain our, our good credit uh, uh, from a personal standpoint. 
to be able to finance the next store opening. No, yep. nobody, well, not for a reasonable rate anyway. Uh, it will will lend just based on the business cash flows by themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So so that's a perfect use case, right? You know, where you have a BD salon, you have tons of sort of expenses to operate it, and then you have. You need additional capital to grow the business. Um, and we have customers, sort of the med spas, little salons that are using us primarily today for working capital, right? So inventory, you know, managing kind of day-to-day expenses, vendors, um, you know, folks that they're buying supplies from, like those types of things. And what that allows them to do is it frees up capital to then kind of route it towards expansion. Um, and we have sort of third-party partners that enable these types of businesses to get kind of expansion loans um, that enables them to go and create a fourth, fifth, sixth location, right? And so um, you would be like the perfect customer for us. Happy to sign you up after this call. <laughs> Always Finally, somebody, somebody will do, do it. Do you yeah. have any certain industries that are you've noticed in your, in your uh, customer profiles and your data that's uh, especially... Um, looking for capital, anything going on in the economy that might be saying? Yeah, you know, look, we're in a very interesting part of the economy, right? So if you look at the macro cycle, I mean, we've been hearing the word recession uh, for the last, you know, 24 months where, you know, recession is coming, recession is coming. Who knows if it's going to be a soft landing or a hard landing, right? As the Fed sort of, uh, you know, changes direction in the next two or three quarters, um, but the reality is that, you know, small businesses are the businesses that are carrying most of America. I mean, literally two thirds of the United States is employed by these businesses. Um, and so we have found that the demand for the product is very much horizontal. So quick kind of history. When we first started the company, we thought it would be good to sort of focus on one industry at a time. So we started with the construction industry as sort of the natural place, given that my father runs a construction business. I understood the problems very much up close and sort of thought that, hey, what if we started in construction and sort of solved that problem? It's a multi-billion dollar industry. To our surprise, the word of mouth growth we were getting was kind of insane. You know, 60% of our leads were coming from non-construction segments. Uh, You know, the trucking company supplying to the job site, the supplier in the back end that's supplying the materials, the little law firm working with the construction business and developer. Yeah. So we decided that, hey, this is much, much more a horizontal opportunity. So today, um, construction represents about a third of our business, but logistics is our second biggest segment growing really, really fast. Uh, And then we have a ton of other segments, you know, e-commerce is another one that is growing really fast. You know, that space has tons of companies for whatever reason still has not been solved from a fintech perspective uh, and so on. I'd love to hear that flexibility where you're willing to change the business. You know, I'm, I'm obsessed with the pivot. Yeah. It's in the name. It's in the name. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Really good name, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, you know, our marketing team, like, spend a lot of time thinking about um, how do you create a brand that has almost a consumer-grade brand awareness, right? You know, you want to be an iconic company. You know, your company is like Apple, for example, that is very much loved by everybody. Could you create a company like that in finance, right? And so I think we have a good shot of building that, you know, 
Um, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about user experience and design of our products such that customers have the best experience, uh, you know, using our products. And, uh, you know, we become sort of their partner to sort of achieve that American dream, right? And so, you know, the brand is really important to do that. Yeah, great thing to focus on. You know, you're no rookie, obviously, to starting businesses and to entrepreneurship. Yeah. How was it going through the uh, the Thiel Fellowship? Yeah, no, it was great. So, um, you know, so for those of you who don't know, the Thiel Fellowship uh, was started by Peter Thiel, uh, sort of a contrarian program where the idea was, you know, college is not really necessary for everybody, right? Um, and there's not enough, you know, ambitious ideas being worked on by ambitious people, right? And so um, the Teal Fellowship began with this notion where they would pick 20 kids every year under the age of 20, give them 100 grand with one condition, they can't go to college, right? And so, you, you know, it was supposed to be controversial, kind of contrarian, well, it's worked out really, really well, you know, um, off the sort of 250 to 280 tail follows, there have been many, many multi-billion dollar companies started, you know, Ethereum, Figma, Loom, the list is quite long. Um, and so what was really interesting to be part of this program, you know, first of all, I feel like I'm the least successful person in the group, right? So that's usually <laughs> a good thing, <laughs> right? You know, to, to be surrounded by people who are like really, really smart. Um, but it sort of, you know, really pushed me to be ambitious and kind of think bigger. And you you often, you know, you know, there's the adage, right? You are who you surround yourself with. Um, you know, if you surround yourself with, you know, complacency, of course, you're going to be mediocre, right? And so it's been really about, you know, trying to focus on how do you build something that actually impacts many, many people and try to sort of push the limits of our ideas. And going back to Flex, you know, the idea here is, nobody has really tried to sort of build a finance platform that fundamentally changes the lives of millions and millions of entrepreneurs, right? And so I think that's a really, really big idea. And uh, I think the TL Fellowship has something to do with the kind of scale of our ambition. And on the fellowship, you actually, it's its its just, it's basically a, a grant. There's no equity component in, in your company. It's just, here's some money, drop out of college, go build some cool stuff. That's right. You know, they don't, um, they don't take equity in the company or anything like that. And it's very kind of, um, very like non-invasive, right? And you have a couple of years to kind of trial your entrepreneurial career. And if you want to sort of, you know, pivot and go back to college and pursue a PhD or something like that, which... Some fellows who are doing, you know, cancer research and those types of things have done. Um, that's fine. But really the idea here is, hey, could we back you and really put you in a kind of high quality community and sort of get out of the way and enable, you know, su such that you can go and like really pursue whatever kind of ambitious idea you have. Let's see what happens. And, you know, <laughs> what's happened is that it has created, you know, literally tens of billions of dollars of enterprise value, uh, which is insane. That's that's pretty insane indeed. Um, and then go, going back to to your background, so you've actually, you you sold your first company when you were 19. You've had a couple of of, of, of exits now. Um, how did you get it sort of in, into the technology fintech space and then the the fellowship? What's What's been your sort of your career progression for the past 15 years or so? Uh, I'm one of these people who's like very modest and, you know, I don't like to talk about my background as much. So I'll try to give you the kind of abbreviated version so I um, am Indian originally. I grew up in Dubai. I, um, you know, my parents 
very much the kind of small business entrepreneurs. So they moved to Dubai to uh, pursue sort of, you know, building a dream. And in Dubai at the time, you know, there was a huge construction boom. And so my father started a construction business that, uh, you know, had a lot of ups and downs, mostly downs, but, you know, it was an incredible experience kind of growing up through that. And, you know, Dubai pretty much was built in front of my eye. So I sort of saw the growth and kind of the can-do attitude, which really affected my mindset. But, you know, I often thought that um, Silicon Valley was the place I wanted to be. You know, I used to watch, you know, Steve Jobs' keynotes as a kid. And I just remember, like, praying that, hey, one day I want to be kind of amongst those people building cool things, right? Uh, building stuff that people would be excited to use. Um, and so that kind of ambition and sort of um, kind of desire to create things kind of came into me early. And so I started building things when I was like 12 or 13. And at the time, I used to build like little websites for other small businesses and stuff like that. You had like a tiny, you know, design agency. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, uh, through that experience, I, um, I sort of got into the TL fellowship and, you know, started my first company, which was an education software business. And that company, uh, you know, got sort of acquired into a roll up and then sort of, you know, started, started the second company, which was an education AI business. And the education AI business, um, you know, funnily enough, we were building a lot of stuff that is a precursor to today's LLMs. So um, stuff that OpenAI and ChatGPT have been working on. And, uh, you know, uh, that company, we raised a bunch of capital from lots of really interesting people. You know, JP Morgan was actually one of our big investors and then Mark Zuckerberg and others. But, um, you know, what was what was sort of kind of unfortunate about that business was at the time when we were trying to tell investors and VCs that, hey, we want to work on what we call today LLMs. Nobody understood what the heck we were working on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was really hard to sort of fundraise for that business. And ultimately, I think, you know, that company did not succeed because we got the timing wrong by five or six years, right? I wish we were alive today. It would have been a much, much bigger outcome. Uh, but, uh, you know, we had some good wins. You know, we worked with a number of very large businesses in the Fortune 500, JP Morgan being among them, um, you know, where we helped sort of work on knowledge generation at those businesses where, you know, there's a lot of internal content and how do you kind of digest that content and create new content that is helpful to the people in the, on the front line, be it in investment banking or kind of insurance sales or, you know, customer success and so on and so forth. Um, and so once that company, you know, you know, wound down, you know, it went through like a kind of a small aqua hire type situation, um, you know, basically didn't work out, um, learned a ton of lessons um, and sort of took some time off. At this time, I was sort of angel investing a ton. Uh, so I started um, investing in a lot of early stage companies. Um, I was lucky to be part of the Robin Hood story and, you know, a few companies like that. And, um, and, and so really kind of got addicted to the notion of, uh, you know, investing small checks in friends' companies and so I started a little angel fund um, called 305 Ventures. Uh, I moved to Miami in COVID and started that. And, uh, you know, fast forward to 2023, you know, we've invested in about 80 businesses. And the notion there is, you know, let's invest in basically every smart friend we have. And um, that's, uh, that's worked out pretty well for us. And, uh, you know, started Flex uh, about two and a half years ago. 
So you're in Miami now. What are the pluses and minuses of being based there? Or does the location even matter anymore? Question. So I was in San Francisco uh, for about seven or eight years. And, you know, uh, Silicon Valley was always the place I wanted to be from, you know, the age of 12 or 13, right? But what's really interesting is when I got to San Francisco, um, I think, you know, I, I arrived when San Francisco had sort of peaked in terms of its sort of culture and kind of um, the community. Uh, it's been revived a little bit uh, in the last 12 months with AI uh, and the sort of new boom we are seeing around uh, kind of generative AI and all of that. Um, you know, I posted something on Twitter and Mayor Francis Suarez randomly like DM me, which is kind of insane. Like I'm, I'm like not that popular on Twitter. I have like 2000 followers, which is like nothing. Right. And it's kind of a crazy thing where the mayor of a city is like DMing you. <laughs> um, and the mayor was, you know, he said that, hey, would like to have cafecito with you, which is Cuban coffee. Uh, and the next thing I know, I'm at the mayor's office getting a full on sales pitch. Right. And uh, and you can actually find that video on Instagram where he decided to sort of do an impromptu podcast. Um, and so at that moment, I realized, oh, funny. yeah, yeah. At that moment, I realized that, you know what, this is not San Francisco where, um, and the, you know, Mayor Francis like has done this not only with me, but literally hundreds of people. Right. Um, and he went on like full on sales offensive. And, um, and I think uh, that brought a great community of people and it's a small community. I mean, it's not, you know, necessarily going to be the next Silicon Valley per se, but um, it has a very good shot of becoming a new capital of capital, you know, competing with Singapore and Hong Kong and Manhattan, London, et cetera, right? Like Miami is definitely here to stay. Sounds pretty ideal, actually. Yeah. A lot yeah. of cafecito going on there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So any advice for any fintechs that are just starting out? Any any entrepreneurs, actually? I think, you know, from my perspective, uh, the biggest challenge in fintech oftentimes is actually not building the best product. It is actually the execution of kind of ideas that have existed around for a long time, but executing on it really, really well. And so uh, the advice I would give sort of super early stage fintechs is number one, don't give up. Like, you know, this is going to be a bit of a grind, but you have to grind it out. That's the only way you're going to be successful in this space. And number two, I would really, really focus on execution, which really means, you know, recruiting the best possible team, the top 1% of talent that you can find and, you know, really focus on executing on these ideas to perfection. Um, and, uh, you know, soon enough, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to have, you know, positive cash flow and you're going to wonder like, how did we do that? Right. And so, um, you know, I think, I think this space is just getting started. Uh, one kind of stat I'll give you is in B2B transactions, one third of B2B transactions are still happening with paper checks, <laughs> um, which is crazy. That's a multi-trillion dollar number. So in terms of like fintech adoption, we're very much still day one and there's a lot to be built. Hire the best. Makes sense. That's how I got Steve, actually. Exactly. You <laughs> You tried and then you ended up with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or get the best you can anyway. Get the best you can. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 Some really good information, great advice, and uh, a really interesting experience you have. Best of luck to Flex. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Steve and John. This has been great. Um, yeah. And it, 
happy to come back anytime. Yeah, we'll have to have you on before the big IPO, for sure. <laughs> That's Zaid Rahman, the founder and CEO of Flex. Please hit subscribe to keep up with the latest in fintech news. And thank you for listening. <laughs>